from Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Everybody's going to keep telling you that tonight the Lakers are in a must-win situation. Taking on the Warriors at home, they don't want to have to go back to Golden State. But I'd argue that both games tonight have that implication. As the Knicks and Heat, Warriors and Lakers are going to see the best from teams with their backs against the wall. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to break down what to expect. ESPN Radio lead NBA play-by-play announcer Mark Kesterser joins us. First and foremost, Kesty, like... I, I, we're going to get to the specifics of the games, but I have to ask you, after all these years of being the voice of the NBA playoffs for ESPN Radio in so many ways, have you? do you remember a playoffs that seemed this wildly hard to predict night in and night out? Absolutely not, Jace. And, and Harry, good to be with you this afternoon. There was a time... When, uh, you know, I, I, used to, I did the Eastern Conference Finals, um, you know, in the mid-teens, if you will. And then when I moved over to this chair, I started doing the West. And I remember at the start of every season, I said, I can literally call Naaman Airlines and say, book me a trip for uh, Golden State, for Oakland, San Francisco, and book me a trip for Cleveland, and I'll see you in June. And it, 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 was, it felt like it was that every year. And then now, you know, to your point, it's I have no idea what's going to happen tonight. I have no idea if we're going to have an eight seed and a seven seed in the conference finals. And it does feel more NCAA tournament ish as we go on here. You know, um, you know, for many reasons, we can get into the reasons why. But you're right. It's very unpredictable. In case I got to ask you, when it comes to the Lakers versus the Warriors tonight, when you see Le- LeBron James, and you know Anthony Davis has been the catalyst to everything that they're doing, but from LeBron's standpoint, do you take thing, take the onus on yourself to come out aggressive, or do you try to get Anthony Davis involved early and often? Which approach do you think is uh, better for the Lakers tonight? You know, I, it feels to me the latter, um, but but I get your point, and that is, you know, this they do not want to go back north. For game seven. I know it's easy to say that. You know, we say that about every series that, uh, you know, Philadelphia better win that game. You don't want to go back to Boston, yet they won there twice. And But it's game seven, so who knows? And LeBron, for so many years, has been, I'm going to throw you on my back, and we are going to end this tonight. And, you know, the, in 20 years, I don't think I've ever questioned does he have that burst anymore? Because we saw it this year. I mean, there was a time when AD was out and he went through that rage of like 35-plus games, and you're like, the guy still got it at 38 years of age. It's incredible. How does he still do this? And I haven't noticed that in the, in this postseason for whatever reason. I think the main reason is I don't think he's you know, 100% healthy. You know, I think the foot, um, you know, which kept him out for a while, uh, I, I don't think he's 100% because it, it doesn't seem like you start falling off the cliff like, you know, between February and March. Maybe you do in your 38th year. But all that being said, Anthony Davis is, he's the ticket. And, and you hope that he's 100%. And it sounds like 
you know, from everything we've heard, he's not in concussion protocol and he was already feeling better after the game was over, but that's the guy and they got to have him defensively. Like that to me is, that's the key tonight more the over than anything else is can golden state still bait him into switching and getting him out of the paint and opening up lanes. I mean, the warriors didn't have like a three pointer until the fourth quarter in the second half and still had a double digit lead and you scratch your head, but they did such a good job of, you know, getting him out of the paint. So that's a long way to say I think it's still Anthony Davis, the driver. Uh, but maybe LeBron turns it on and we get that, uh, you know, old school LBJ tonight in Los Angeles. We're talking to Mark Hester, ESPN NBA play-by-play announcer on Fitz and Harry, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. So uh, stick with AD for a second. As you mentioned, all it looks like all indicators. Is he going to play tonight? What are you looking for from him in the first few minutes to kind of get a, way, a gauge of where he is? Yeah, I think like we saw at the beginning of Game Five, um, you know, the other night, even though the Warriors got out to a you know pretty good lead, was you know feed him, work it inside, uh, you know, see if he can get those easy baskets. I think that's probably the way you go. Now we'll have a better sense, you know, later tonight. We'll watch him go through warmups. We'll see if anything looks different at all. Um, even before he got hurt, guys, and I don't know if it looked like this on uh, television. If you were watching it live and, you know, we're, we're up a little bit off the floor in San Francisco, but he didn't look like the same player before he got hurt, like in the fourth quarter. He, he didn't look as aggressive as we saw in the first three quarters for whatever reason. I'm not sure. And maybe that's credit to, to the Warriors and their defense. And, um, you know, but I think, I think you gotta, you got to get him going early. He's been the bell cow, especially coming off being banged up. Let's see what he's got early on and, you know, LeBron typically over his career has, has been more, you know, getting guys into position and facilitating in the first quarter. So uh, we'll see if the strategy changes, but they also, you know, defensively have to see what pace issues Golden State throws at them because uh, I've never seen Draymond Green move so fast end-to-end and push <laughs> the pace like he did in the first quarter the other day. That was remarkable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, I want to talk about the Splash Brothers, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Now, the last two games, the last thing they've been doing is splashing from three. Now, the mid-range game has been working for Steph and driving the lane. Do you think this game six is a game that both of those guys are hitting their three-pointers? I am uh, inundated, Harry, in game six Clay numbers. So (laughs) we're sitting on him and and seeing if we need him because historically – more times than not, he has. It's confounding uh, that he would have, you know, two bad games together, even though, you know, for the whole series, the numbers aren't bad. Um, uh, and I'm stealing this from Anthony Slater from The Athletic, who does a great job covering the Warriors. You know, Clay Thompson, born in Los Angeles, went to high school in Orange County. Dad played for the Lakers. Dad is still a radio announcer for the Lakers. Clay grows up a huge Kobe fan, and why not? And guess what his shooting percentage is from three-pointers over the last few games? It's eight for 24. If you like Mm -hmm. numerals and numerology, maybe it's the breakout game when you've gone eight for 24 over the last three games. That's a remarkable number, by the way, Cassie. That's a great work by you. I I love all of that. I want to kind of look at some of that, though, with the strategy question, because 
Uh, I don't know if you're a big Star Wars guy, but this is the analogy we keep making on the show. If you ever saw Empire Strikes Back, they had those AT-ATs, the big robots. They were like transporters, yes. right? And you took the little robots and you went all the, the, the ships went all the way around them, tied their feet together, got them to fall over. I say all of that because obviously you've got these huge human beings with the Lakers, but the Warriors have the ability to just run around them. And when they do that, it seems to work. It helps the Warriors win. When the Grizzlies did that against the Lakers, it seemed to work. It helped the Grizzlies win. Why did the Warriors just not try and run them out of the building every single game? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I guess the answer is because it's their DNA. They move, they space. They have two of the most incredible shooters, you know, in the history of the game, if not the two most incredible shooters. And so it feels like this is the way we've always beat people. This is the way we're going to continue to beat people. But you're right. How many times did Steph Curry get Anthony Davis switched on to him, had a screener somewhere in the mid post, you know, was able to get that, able to run Davis into that screener and then slip through and, you know, extend the arm and get a layup. It feels like, yeah, keep doing that. And to some extent they did. I mean, the pain points were high in the second half. And, and as we said, we just kept remarking, we can't believe the Warriors have not hit a three-point shot in the second half and still have a double-digit lead because they did that. And will they start that way? Great question. Um and if you're Clay Thompson and every basketball player who's ever played, you know, always tells you when you're struggling, take it to the rim. And maybe that's, you know, where you started off. And then, and then it happens from outside. I can't explain what's happening to Jordan Poole in this series since game one. Um, but you're right. Strategically, um, here's where we've had the greatest success. Can we bait AD into switches and pull him out and beat him inside? It's not the way the Warriors have done it historically. But if it gets them back home for Game 7, I think it was 48 pick and rolls that Steph Curry uh, got the Lakers into in Game 5. That number may be north of 50 tonight. Oh, man. I can't wait for every second of it. I also can't wait to listen to you call it. You'll be part of the ESPN radio coverage that begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Kesty, have a great call. Enjoy the experience, and thanks for all that you do to help us learn more about the game. Hey, I appreciate being on with you guys. Have a great rest of your show. It's Mark Kester, sir, ESPN Radio Lead and by NBA play-by-play announcer. Truly love just getting in the car and listening to the way he calls it because the emotion, mm-hmm. the power behind it, the descriptors, it's just, it is a reminder of how great it can be to listen to a game on radio. Tune into an interleague battle Sunday as the Red Sox host the Cardinals. Coverage of Sunday night baseball begins 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. And, of course, 7 p.m. on ESPN. What's on the line for another title contender this weekend? We'll tell you next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Shoots for three. Oh, three straight makes from downtown for a Tatum. Give them 16. Tatum fires for three wing right. Got it. Four threes in the fourth quarter for Jason Tatum. Game six belongs to the Celtics. There'll be a game seven on Sunday in Boston. Boston 95, Philadelphia 86. It was a hard fought win. Team effort. We needed everything we had. We're playing against a really good team. That's what playoff basketball is about.
She nodded and winked. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel. Presented by Progressive it's Insurance. It's all part of the game. Harry Douglas, her, Jason Fitz. I'm with, don't really mean a thing. You do what I like, and now I'm thirsty for more. I'm thirsty for more NBA action, and I'm going to get it. Tonight, Knicks at Heat, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. I'm not even proud of that segue. Coverage begins, <laughs> NBA countdown at 7 p.m. Also, Warriors at Lakers, 10 p.m. tonight. Coverage also right here on ESPN Radio. Coverage beginning at 9.30. I'm watching last night, and I'm expecting a moment. I think a lot of us were expecting a moment. When you think about what was on the line for the 76ers, when you think about the passion of the fan base, uh, watching uh, NBA countdown before the game, and they're talking about everything that Philly fans have gone through, through the process, a phrase that I think they're just going to vomit every time they hear for the rest of their life. They've gone through all of this intentionally sucking for years to get to this point where this team finally has the chance to continue to try and do something that will be memorable forever for this fan base, for this city, and you knew what was going on. You knew that this game was in Philadelphia, and you knew that this was their chance to make a statement from the outset. They were getting their butts kicked right from the outset. They looked overmatched, and even after they scratched and clawed and they come back from a 16-point deficit, Harry, they still, at the end, forget everything that makes them who they are, lose their identity, and they get beat by a Celtics team that didn't have their best night and still managed to go into Philadelphia, force a Game 7 that will now be back in Boston. This is worst-case scenario for Sixers fans. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's head-scratching to me because – You'll have a MVP award winner in Joel Embiid, and he's the guy. He has been the catalyst that you know got you up until this point, right? Playing phenomenal throughout the regular season, doing what he's done in the playoffs. Uh, we've seen how the Brooklyn Nets defended him. We see what he means to the game of, of basketball. Period. Overall, as a whole. But when you forget that you have the MVP award winner on your team within the last four minutes of the game, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling to me for Doc Rivers as a head coach, also James Harden being the point guard, but also the awareness of other guys on the team. There's a reason why P.J. Tucker is wide open. And, you know, Tyrese Maxey came down, missed a three. Got to be able to hit the shot. P.J. Tucker missed a three. It's a reason why you're wide open in that moment. DeAnthony Melton missed a shot. James Harden missed a layup. And then James Harden came down and turned the basketball over. At what point are any of those guys going to say to themselves, we need to get the guy that got us, got us here, the basketball. Now, all of that on top of it's they went eight for 34 from the three-point line. That's mm. 23% when just mm. in the previous game, game five, they went 40%. When they're able to hit their open shots, this team thrives. But another thing that bothered me was a guy in Tobias Harris who had a phenomenal game five, 16 points, 11 rebounds, played 42 minutes and had two points to go one for seven. James Harden, who is one of their leaders, goes 4 for 16 from the field, 0 for 6 from the three-point line. And then DeAnthony Melton, who had a phenomenal game one, came off the bench and hit five threes, played 24 minutes, goes 0 for 5 for zero points. So those three guys alone didn't help the cause of the Philadelphia 76ers in getting a victory to stop the heartbreak that they have endured for so many times. 
since you know being in the finals in what 2001 i think that was 2001 they was in the finals no, right against the lakers with Iverson. yeah yes. I, like but here's here's the thing like the other part of it is there's a if not now then when mentality to all of it because everything you're talking about continues to just hit me as a you forgot who you were you forgot your identity. We, we talk all the time. In football, you know damn well coming in. By week four, you know the identity of every single NFL team. You know what they're mm-hmm. trying to accomplish and what they're doing. I would argue that every team right now, in the NBA, love it or hate it, every team left in the NBA right now in these playoffs has a very clear identity on how they get points, what they do when they need a bus, bucket, who they go to, what defines them. We've talked a lot about the Celtics and the change in their identity from last year being a defensive team to this year. So all of a sudden I'm looking around and I'm saying, man, in the key moments, you forgot your identity. How do you fix that? Because if you're Philly, this isn't just about this series. This is about the fact that at the end of all of this, James Harden's going to have to decide if he still wants to be around. They're going to have to figure out, as crazy as it sounds, Doc Rivers, who is a great coach, is 17-32 and 32 in potential closeout games. Like You're going to have to look around at the organization and say, no matter the results and how great they've been in the regular season, do we have the right guys and can we make the sales pitch? Like I feel like if you continue to advance in the, in the playoffs, all of this gets very easy. You get knocked out now against Boston in a series that you could have won – everybody's going to look around and say, man, do I just need to change all of this? Like Harden's going to ask some questions. Organization's going to ask some questions. All of this is really difficult for Philly to, uh, to take on. Well, not just the hard conversations, but now the hard decisions, right, from the front office. Yeah. And who, who's, who determines if a head coach is still there, who determines if a player should get an extension and get another deal, right? All on top of – you know, them choosing a guy in Ben Simmons over a guy in Jimmy Butler, who we've seen time and time again since he's been in Miami, garner that basketball team and lead them or try to lead them to the promised land, coming up short a few times. But I'm pretty sure they're scratching their heads for themselves and kicking themselves in the asses for letting a Jimmy Butler go, right? And when you see how close him and Embiid actually are, it's mind-boggling. But I'll tell you this, Embiid, in my eyes, you know, called his teammates out a little bit. And the last time he did that in this series, they responded. I want to see if they're going to be able to respond in Game 7. Yeah, I mean, my God, if you can't respond in Game 7, there's a problem. But you also knew the opportunity you had in Game 6. And that's, like, the wild part of that is what we're— You didn't choke out your opponent. You gave him life. You're right. Yeah, I mean— You gave him life. How how much—and it almost—this is weird, but follow me for a second— as I was watching the Suns get dismantled, it, it really hit me how this year we've actually been lucky. We've seen so many teams respond in games like we saw last night. Like, the Suns didn't respond. Their season is done. The Celtics did respond on a night, again, where they weren't their best and had plenty of times where they could have folded. Now we're going into two games tonight where we're talking about can the, you know, can the Warriors uh, force a game seven? Can the Knicks send this thing back to Madison Square Garden? All of this happening at the same time that we're watching what happened last night. And it only reiterates what you're saying, like, You have to do what Denver did. Denver did last night, went out, took care of business, dismantled the Suns, embarrassed the Suns, and made this thing a non-factor at halftime. I I keep looking at this and saying, I'm stunned that Boston was able to do that. Instead of getting choked out, Boston did the choking. And I don't know how you reverse that now with momentum. It's going to be tough, but I I think it – listen, James Harden was able in Game 5 to control the tempo, right? 17 points, 10 assists, 8 rebounds. And I just thought he got them into the right offensive sets and him and Embiid in the pick and roll was phenomenal. I, I, James Harden didn't make his shots last night, 
but also I, I felt things got a little sporadic at times too. And when they was down 16 points and came back, Embiid was involved in that. So why wouldn't he be involved with four minutes to go in the game? And like, I'm not gonna just gonna excuse him as well. He he has to be more aggressive uh, in, in calling for the ball and telling his teammates to get him the ball. Not just in the post game, but while you're out there on the court as well. And then your coach gotta be a part of that along with your point guard. So I think it's just a lot of a lot of different pieces that need to come together for this game seven for the Sixers. Or we will see another heartbreak that Embiid and his Sixers team will have to go through. I'm not sure it'll be heartbreak without consequence either because you can't keep the same guys together constantly and keep doing this over and over again and not look around and say, man, something has to change. Fitz and Harry presented by Progressive Insurance. Get a business insurance quote online in as little as six minutes. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. All right. We just saw the schedules. One team already won the Super Bowl. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. You just presume that all middle-aged white guys are walking around with some, like, 80s gel and some, like, weird moose? Do you use spritz? No, I don't spritz. I don't spritz. You're the one that was Epsom salting your feet in a tub last night. Yes. And you're talking to me about spritzing? Yes. I buy cleaning you stuff. Supplies. Supplies. There we go. Supplies. As soon as I land in every city, I disinfect the restroom. The bathtub and everything. So, we, you know, I have a nice size tub because, you know, I had a sweet room. I put some Epsom salt in there, some um, alcohol and peroxide as well. Mix it all in together. And also little bubbles and have my little candles lit in there. I had a nice little bromance with myself. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Love Fridays for the soundtrack for the afternoon, setting the tone for the night. Harry, I just realized a huge cultural difference. We never shy away from our cultural differences. If you've never seen a picture of Harry Douglas and myself, (laughs) you can figure out pretty quickly that we're slightly different. I'm just saying, middle-aged white dude gets a suite at a hotel and then comes in with a bunch of cleaning products, clean out the bathroom, everybody's going to presume I'm a serial killer. Like, that's just step one. (laughs) I walk into the, I'm like, hey guys, don't mind me. I went to the store. These are my gloves. These are my cleaning supplies. This is my plastic. This is my Epsom salts. Here's my peroxide. They're definitely, the minute I get in the elevator, somebody's calling and they're like, ah, serial killer in the penthouse. That is literally a scene in No Country for Old Men and the guy is a serial killer. (laughs) See? See? I'm telling you. You You know what they say about me? That black man don't trust our cleaning people (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's amazing and right on all the way all right uh now that we've made it awkward for our next guest uh kevin clark our buddy senior football writer for the ringer uh one of my just favorite people to read and to check out with football coverage joining us now uh kevin always appreciate you man i'll ask this question with absolutely no bias as a raiders fan but why are the chargers better at schedule videos than they are at football here's what i want to know jason the Chargers are one of the franchises maybe over the past 20 years that have made the most mistakes, a lot to make fun of. Why doesn't anybody clap back at the Chargers? Because they take shots at everybody in this video, and it feels like somebody's got to go back at the Chargers one year and just say, hey, man, like, you've got your own problems. Like, sell some tickets, guys. Get some fans. Like, when is that clap back coming? Oh, my God, Harry, I need this in my life. <laughs> well, 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 Kevin, I got to ask you, who did you think had the best video of all the teams? 
I mean, it was the Titans far and away. I was dying at that. So, I mean, if you, you guys have probably been to Nashville. Certainly, Jason has. And, and, and what's amazing about it is that uh, there's just all sorts of people, bachelorette parties, bachelor parties, people just going to country bars, you know, all around downtown, that, that whole area. And take advantage of that and just stop them, stop, stop those folks and say, what is this logo? It shows a couple of things. Number one, it was hilarious to see the bachelorette parties. I think the Colts logo was the Cowboys logo twice. That was amazing. Uh, And then the second part of it is you and I, all three of us, think that football is the most important thing in the world. We think that everybody knows who these teams are. No, people don't. They think that the Chargers logo is Lightning McQueen from Cars. Like, it was an amazing reminder that what we do is not the most important thing in the world because whatever it is that we do, there's 55 bachelorette parties in Nashville happening right now, and they don't know what the Browns logo looks like. I'm going to throw this back to you for a second, Harry. But Harry played for the Titans. One thing that really stands out to me in this process, guys, is one thing that I I talked about it when I was on air in, in Nashville, and Harry, you know it from playing. Kevin, you've seen it before. The Titans' home field advantage is not necessarily a substantial one and as much as I joke about that video it does remind us that to that city even it's such an influx of people come here to bachelorette party or people come from away it does sort of remind us that it's a city that may not make the NFL games the same level of priority that some other cities might make Harry well well I would actually say this like when I was living there for the three years I did and my wife was back home uh with our daughter man I, I where I lived at in the, in the townhomes, it was about 40 of them. Only two of the people that lived there, me and another man, we were the only people that actually lived in the townhomes. All the rest of them was rented out for bachelor and bachelorette parties. Yeah. Like, it was insane. <laughs> So y'all know how I spent my off time. You know how I spent my off time, man. Every time my wife would call me, are you another bachelorette or bachelor party? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> All right, Kevin. We're, we're talking to Kevin Clark, senior football writer from The Ringer. Uh, who has, in your mind, who, who lost the schedule battle here and, and really got screwed? Oh, my gosh. Um, I mean, any team I, – I always think that any team that goes internationally always has – Kind of a problem, um, just generally. I just don't believe, even though even though there's studies that say that there's, uh, you know, the, the the sleep schedules even out or whatever. Uh, that's that's one thing. But I mean, you know, the idea. I was just listening to the Peter King podcast and the uh, and and the international schedule. The schedule was talking about the Ravens having to go basically away, away, and then London. Um, and that's the kind of significant thing I think can take you out of your um, out of your rhythm, frankly, um, for for a year. I mean, when I look at this, guys. I think about uh, the teams that have to make a statement early. The Packers, in my opinion, who have to basically reestablish themselves as a franchise. Uh, the Bears, to me, I think are, are, are kind of an easy way to do it. I don't think they're going to be that strong. Then they have Falcons, Saints, Lions, which, which I mean, that's kind of a put-up-or-shut-up game in that, in that division. And then the Raiders um, the next week. So I'm not really seeing uh, a huge kind of obstacle here for Jordan Love in the first couple of weeks. I think the Giants... Uh, probably the opposite of that, where they get Cowboys week one, then the, the Cardinals, that's the win. Uh, then Niners, Seahawks, Dolphins, Bills. Like, that's a tough road. If you're the Giants, you're trying to prove last year wasn't a fluke. Um, this is a, a problem. Um, I think last year was kind of a fluke for the Giants. And if they don't get that hot start, remember the schedule had so much to do last year with the early momentum that they got, the, the win total they put up, it was basically insurmountable. Everybody knew they were going to make the playoffs going into November, December. To not have that sort of uh, convenience early on in September and October, that to me is a problem. Now the Eagles, the stretch uh, uh, that they have at the end of the season, how important is it for a good start for them? For me, you know, people, I, I saw everybody ranking the most intriguing games, and I was thinking about 
how the, the Chiefs and Eagles are obviously number one on everybody's list. I almost don't care about those sort of games because I know what the Eagles are and I know what the Chiefs are. And it's not like the Lions. It's not like one of these teams where I'm saying, what are you right now? Um, but for the Eagles to start out with at the Patriots, which is going to be a winnable game, the Vikings are what they are. But then Tampa Bay, Washington, Los Angeles, the Rams, um, and then you get to the Jets, and, and we'll see what they look like by week six. But um, I, I think that they're going to be an 11-win team no matter what order of the games there are. Um, so I'm not too worried about that team. I just think that when you have the best roster in football, as they did last year, you're going to win a bunch. When you have that kind of depth, when you have Jalen Hurts under contract and, and the kind of work ethic he has, I think there's a, a floor and it's pretty high. So I never worry about teams like that with their schedule. I worry more about the teams that I think can win anywhere from 7 to 10 games who need those breaks, who need uh, you know the late bye, who need uh, a couple of home games um, in, in a row to build momentum. Those, that's what I look for on schedule release day, guys. Alright, so Kevin, we played the schedule game earlier, you know, where you sit down as a fan and you go through every single week. Win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. I have my beloved Raiders, for example, winning seven games this year. I was quite optimistic. All right. But we'll take them out of the equation because my favorite football <laughs> team sucks. Harry has the Falcons going 12 and 5. Devin has the Giants going 10 and 7. And Evan has the Jets going 12 and 5. Who got it best? Like, who's most realistic? Wow. Uh, the Jets, okay, I, I disagree with all of them. I know I'm not the broad rush, but if I, had to, if I had to say one is correct, it would be the Jets being 12-5. and five. If Aaron Rodgers, you know, I was talking to some people earlier this week, I was, I was reading some stuff and doing some research on that. If Aaron Rodgers, uh, the Jets really thought that the thumb was the problem last year, and as long as he's healthy, she's going to be kind of almost MVP caliber Aaron Rodgers. I think that's a big stretch. By the way, when you're almost 40 years old, you guys all know this, you're the type of person who gets an injury that lasts a year. Like, that's kind of what happens when you get old. If I had a thumb injury right now, I'm not 40, but it would last for a long time because that's how bodies work and that's how aging works. Um, And so, but as long as he's healthy, as long as he's upright, as long as that line performs, the roster is so good in so many different places. That fast defense, um, it reminds me, guys, a little bit of Tom Brady going to Tampa a few years ago where we didn't realize how good that roster was until he got there and played competent football. And we watched in the Super Bowl and said, whoa, this defense is so much faster and so much younger than we thought. So if, there was, if, if any of those scenarios I had to bet on, it would be the Jets being really good this year. But I still I need to see it. That's why the schedule is so important for them is I just need to see this. And I need to see – how Rodgers ingratiates himself, and whether or not he still has it. He was missing passes downfield last year that he does not miss. He was missing easy throws on fourth down, on third and two that he does not miss. I was very, as someone to pick the Packers to win the Super Bowl last year, I was very frustrated with uh, how the ball was coming out of his hands in a lot of games. But I do think as long as he's healthy, as long as he's locked in with those receivers, uh, who, by the way, are amazing, I don't, I, 12 and 5 is totally realistic. You can check out the Slow News Day with Kevin Clark podcast. Be sure to do that. You can read him on The Ringer. Kevin Clark, senior senior football writer. Appreciate you hanging out. Just, I mean, you also could have interrupted me when I said 7 and 10 and said, no, nah, Fitz, it's going to be fine. The Raiders are going to go to the play. Like, you could have. No, I, mean, I, I just want to say I can't believe Tom Brady officially owns the Raiders now instead of unofficially. You know, Kevin, it's been great. It's been great. We're not having you back ever. But it's been so nice. Son of a biscuit. Kevin Clark doing God's work. Thanks for having me. Atta baby Kevin. Atta baby Kevin. Kevin's going to go do work things. I'm going to go drink. That's it. There's no more segments. I don't know. The one thing you want to watch when you sit down to watch the NBA tonight while I get drunk. That's next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. 
Fitz and Harry, the podcast. This week on Fitz and Harry. That's Kalena Azabuke, Warriors TV analyst, joining us on Spain and Fitz. Apparently, I just decided that I was on a show that I was on for two years ago early. I didn't even realize <laughs> I said it. So it's Fitz and Harry. That's the name of this show. You look at certain cities and you know, you're like, hey man, yeah, yeah, I know, I know a girl that live out there, so I'm gonna be able to kick it with her. Yes, you do look at those things. I can spend all Thanksgiving with my wife and then just be like, honey, don't bother me. I'm Black Friday, I'm watching the gym. Evan, I see you saying it with your chest here, mm-hmm. but I know you're not saying it with your chest at home. Yeah, we all know that when he gets home, Evan's like, hey, Casey, can I watch the game? Like a little mouse. Yeah, right? he's like, can I watch yeah. the game? You, don't you decide you're going to Chris go up and go into a strip club completely naked. <laughs> and then afterwards, after you're caught, if you look at your family and you're like, hindsight's 2020, I probably should have done that. <laughs> Could you not have seen the strategy wasn't going to work? Walking into the room. You guys set me up. That's why I'm Yes, oh, yes we did. That sounded oh. a little too specific. Have you done this? Like, now I'll get us back on the rails, I promise. I'll try. We had a week on Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Don't forget tonight, Knicks at Heat, 7.30 p.m. Coverage begins with NBA countdown at 7. Those are both Eastern times, obviously. Warriors and Nets. Warriors and Nets. I don't know why I did that. Warriors and Lakers, 10 p.m. Game also right here on ESPN Radio. Coverage begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. ESPN Warriors reporter Kendra Andrews is reporting. Andrew Wiggins participated in the walkthrough portion of shoot-around before heading back to the back to get more treatment. He will attempt to go through a pregame warm-up later before a final decision is made, sources tell ESPN. That doesn't feel great, Harry. I know we, we you know, we're, we got to wait and see how it goes. It just feels like there's a lot of caution right now as he's dealing with a rib injury that that doesn't sound like it's it's easy at the very least for him to get through. Oh no, we're talking about a guy in Andrew Wiggins, right? Before the playoffs started, we stated if he wasn't going to be able to come back with, for this Golden Warriors basketball team, they definitely didn't have a chance, and I didn't see them getting out of the first round versus the Sacramento Kings. But he was able to come back. He's in tip-top shape. Uh, never showed any signs of not being in shape. But in this playoffs, he's averaging 17.6 points per game and six rebounds for this team. And you look at a guy who's been guarding LeBron James most of the time, and a guy that's just played a lot of basketball fits. But I'll tell you, I don't like that he has his rib injury, but the encouraging part is that he's actually able to participate in the walkthrough. Because I've told you, I've, I've had this injury twice, and a walkthrough is the last thing I can actually get to in, in that moment. So that's a small encouraging sign. But when you actually get on the basketball court, him having that injury is not ideal because LeBron James is so physical 
every time down the basketball court. So in those regards, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of worried a little bit about the Warriors. Yeah, I feel like both sides are going to be testing the physicality and ability to be physical with the other side. Like, one thing that I, I mentioned earlier with Mark Hester, I think I've said it so many times this week, that if it was a shot drink, you'd be in rehab. There is this moment of pace for me that the Warriors could just run and run and run and run and run. The more we feel, we feel like there's physical issues with it, the more I have to wonder how they do that. Because not only Wiggins is going to be tested physically on one side and Anthony Davis is going to be tested physically on the other. I, I feel like we could see the first five minutes of this game be brutally physical just because each side is trying to see if the other side can actually handle the punch-counterpunch of it. You know, it feels like we could see a very, very tone-setting first five minutes. Yeah, especially, you know, you look at Draymond Green, who's going to be guarding Anthony Davis. One thing we know about Draymond Green, he's going to be physical. He's going to be talking. And we even heard him tell – we heard the announcers say that he told the ref the last game that, no, I'm not going to stop talking. You're going to have to tee me up. That's the mindset of a Draymond Green. That's the reason why he's been so phenomenal uh, in the four championships that the Golden State Warriors have been able to win. And he's going to test Anthony Davis. And he's not going to shy away from it. And he probably he's probably going to talk a little noise while he's doing it. Yeah, well, Nick Friedel was on uh, on with us earlier, ESPN NBA reporter. This is what he said about what the Lakers need to do with AD tonight. I would expect them to try and get him the ball and allow him to find his rhythm uh, early on because if he sets that tone, guys, if he's going to the basket and he's knocking things down early, then I think that this could be the Lakers' moment. And, Harry, what's interesting about that is one thing that AD – and you know, Nick just said – if he's knocking down baskets early. One thing that has been stressed by AD is that his shots are the same. He's taking the same shots. It's just a matter of do they fall, do they not fall. That's one of the small intricacies I think we can look for to see how he's feeling early on. Because whatever has happened with him, whatever did happen at the end of that game, he is not in concussion protocol. The Lakers look uh, confident that he's going to play. You just got to make sure he feels right going into the game, and his shots falling will be a big part of an indicator for that. Well, I think that's important for a guy named LeBron James because if Anthony Davis isn't himself, then now he has to get into Batman mode, right? He has to get into that mode to where he takes over things and try to get it done you know, from the, the, the alpha male standpoint of just taking over the game and having one of those LeBron James games. Yeah. I mean, that's a funny thing when you say that because all I keep thinking about is setting the tone. Nobody in this entire game is going to set the tone more than LeBron James. Like, out of the gate, from the outset, I expect LeBron James to come out and be making a statement from the opening tip all the way through. It, it, this is going to be epic basketball tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern. Games also on ESPN Radio. Coverage begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. ESPN Radio going to get you caught up on all the latest breaking news with all of it throughout the day. Listen to Kenny and Carlin next. Thanks for hanging out with Fitz and Harry. Listening to the Fitz and Harry podcast. You can listen to the guys live weekdays from noon to three Eastern on ESPN Radio, and you can watch on the ESPN app.